The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. We're going to be just some, doing something very fun today. After the first break, we will be bringing on Lindsay Nixon, the happy herbivore. Everybody's heard of her, and she knows a lot about food and food preparation. But we're going to start the show with the other side of eating food, and that is digestion. We're always thinking about new foods and new restaurants and new recipes, but oh my gosh, the body has to deal with that food. And I'm going to be introducing you in just a minute to Dr. David Klein, who is an expert in this area. Now, you know, sometimes we've had on a guru or a teacher in this world. We've had on Dr. Esselstyn, and then we've had on Dr. Robert Ostfeld, who learned about Dr. Esselstyn and became a devotee of his and now as a cardiologist doing wonderful things. But today we're going to do it a little bit backwards because quite a while ago, you're going to have to look on the Main Street Vegan Radio archives. But if you look back in 2012, maybe 2013 early, you're going to see a show that talks about someone who healed from ulcerative colitis Lovely, a young woman, a, a beautiful Mennonite lady with beautiful, beautiful children. And she did go on her healing journey with Dr. David Klein, who you're going to be meeting today. So in this case, we brought you the student first, the teacher later. Dr. David Klein is a naturopathic doctor, director of the Colitis and Crohn's Health Recovery Center, publisher of Vibrance Magazine, and dean of the Vibrant Health and Wealth Academy. Via the vegan healing diet plan he teaches, he has guided thousands of clients from debilitating disease to vibrant health the all-natural way. His book, Self-Healing Colitis and Crohn's, has been a world bestseller. In 1984, Dr. Klein healed his own long bout with ulcerative colitis via the principles of natural hygiene and has been thriving on a raw vegan diet ever since. From his home office on the Hawaiian island of Maui, he counsels health seekers by phone and Skype. And we're going to give you those uh, websites after a bit. We'll also put them in the show notes. Welcome, Dr. David Klein. Thank you, Victoria. Good to be here. <laughs> Wonderful to have you. 
So you told us 1984, I believe, was when you started on your own journey. Give us a little background on that. Sure. First, I want to make a little correction. I'm actually a nature orthopathic doctor, not a naturopathic. There is a difference there. Oh, ortho, like food. Ortho actually means correct. So we recognize that the symptoms we experience are correct and not to be treated and masked, covered up, uh, remedied with therapies. So we let the body heal on its own terms by stepping away, not interfering, and let it heal on its own terms. And that's really the way that he prefers to do things anyway. And you remind me of a great person that I think has influenced us both, Dr. Herbert Shelton, who always used to say, the body will heal itself when given the needs of life and otherwise left alone. That's exactly um, the way I teach, and Dr. Shelton's work actually did save my life. It was uh, 31 years ago this week that my um, ulcerated colon healed up, and uh, my new life of health and joy uh, blossomed forward. So your question is, you asked me about uh, what happened in 1984. Um, yeah, that was the end of eight years of ulcerative colitis, where my life just went down to a sinking spiral of doom, where I was having constant flare-ups of uh, colitis. My colon was ulcerated and bleeding. My life was in ruins, and um, I was just an absolutely miserable wreck at the age 26 back in New Jersey back then. Um, earlier that year, I had found a doctor of natural hygiene, Dr. Lawrence Gallant, who was teaching uh, the principles of natural healing, doing our natural biological diet, fruits and veggies, uh, most or all of it raw, and uh, proper food combining, and um, not eating heavy, fatty foods. We can't eat fatty foods, nuts, seeds, avocado, tofu, beans, um, um, coconut, if we're trying to heal our gut. So all this information, uh, I got it in the beginning, and it didn't make any sense. I was pretty uh, feisty and uh, rebellious against it. But then when the doctor, when the doctor in Manhattan said after eight years, you know, your, col- your colon is, is not healing, it's not going to get better, so let's cut it out, that's when you know, the gears of my mind finally started turning, and I realized if I don't do something, I'm going to probably be dead soon, so I can't take this any longer. I'm not going to take these experimental uh, immunosuppressing drugs. So I was studying the information about how biologically we are natural fruit and vegetable eaters. And I realized if, um, if I did that diet, my body would purify itself. And with a purified body, my colon would heal up. So I started this around October 1st, 1984. And by the end of the month, I think my ulcerated colon was completely healed up. And I was very thin. I detoxified. I'd lost about 20 pounds. And I looked like a scarecrow, but I was free. And I was full of joy, and I spent the next few years rejuvenating my depleted body. I went on to achieve um, a really high level of health. And um, with that knowledge, I just wanted to share with the entire world. So that's why we're on the show right now. Oh, and, and you are sharing with the world because I, I hear about you wherever I travel. So many people have been helped by your work and by working with you. So what I see when I travel around is everybody is complaining about their digestion. And I don't remember this 30 years ago, 40 years ago, especially young people weren't talking about their digestion. And now I run into 20-year-olds who are having these problems. Why is it so prevalent? Well, there's probably a few reasons. I've noticed in the last couple of years that my clients are healing more slowly than ever. Most would heal up um, inflamed guts, um, colons, intestines within three to six weeks. Now some of them, it's just such a long, laborious uh, process. It can take them months. I think the common link there is GMO foods. I think those GMO foods are really messing up the flora in their bowels and messing up their cellular uh, mechanisms for detoxification and for generating um, energy and new proteins and so forth. So I think GMO foods are really messing us up. So I hope the world is going to wake up to that completely. It's been really, um, in the last couple of months, um, you know, the world has been getting a lot of really um, important news about GMOs, you know, that we shouldn't be included in them. So I think that's a major factor. So hopefully uh, GMO foods will go away in the near future. Another factor is uh, the doctors are just throwing up their hands and just throwing antibiotics left and right at people and immunosuppressant drugs. So these are just messing up not only um, our own cells, but even the, uh, the, the, micro, the, the flora in our bowels, and that's really harming the bowel. 
And a couple other issues I can think of is um, with the advent of, uh, well, the explosion, I guess, of uh, veganism and raw foodism, people are eating really fancy gourmet complex recipes with, with 10 to 20 uh, ingredients, which is totally um, incompatible or un- our bodies can't handle it. Our digestive uh, mechanisms can't handle it. It can't be digested. And if you're mixing salt with fat and sugar together, you're just making a toxic um, mess in your intestines. So really bad food combining, um, even if you're eating healthy foods, if you have unhealthy combinations of foods, it's going to make you as sick as eating a, a, you know, a Big Mac hamburger. So tell us, Dr. Klein, for somebody who isn't having any digestive problems that they know of, but doesn't want to develop them. Give us just a typical day's eating. Um, I'm sorry, the phone was breaking up. Can you repeat that again? Sure. For somebody who isn't having any digestive disease, but doesn't want to develop any, mm-hmm. what would that person be eating in a day? What would you advise? Okay. Them? I call it the vibrant diet. I came out with another book called the alkalizing diet. It's the same thing. It's a diet based on 80% of our calories from carbohydrates, 10% from protein, 10% um, from carbs, just as uh, Dr. Colin Campbell, uh, Dr. Dean Ornish, and Dr. Doug Graham teach. And that's worked for me for 31 years and for all my clients. Um, so basically you can have fruit as the best thing for breakfast because it's very light and easy to digest and energizing. It doesn't slow you down and it doesn't impede the morning detoxification. So I recommend two or three meals of fruit throughout the day with lots of greens. You can have them with... Uh, um, tomatoes if you're having an acid fruit meal. So fruits with a lot of greens, you can have them whole, juiced, um, blended into smoothies. Um, do get your greens into your diet so you don't get an overload of sugar. Um, and then in the afternoon, if you've had enough fruit, you can have a, a salad, a tomato salad or any kind of green salad. And for dinner, if you can have any fatty food during the day, make it a salad with um, some soaked and blended nuts or seeds or some avocado. And don't overload the, uh, the fatty foods because that just slows us down. We hardly need any fat during the day. Um, and we're getting a bit of fat from fruits and vegetables. So minimize the fat. This will keep you energized, your body clean and, and energized and, and dynamic and uh, your mental energy keen too. Then for somebody who is getting ill with some of these things, can you just give us the very uh, basic difference between IBS, which we hear about all the time on television, colitis, and Crohn's disease? I think anybody who maybe doesn't suffer from them and hasn't been diagnosed, we don't know what they are. Right. So if your bowel's feeling uh, miserable all the time and um, you're not having severe symptoms like going to the toilet all the time, or having bleeding and a lot of mucus, um, then it's probably going to be diagnosed as irritable bowel. So disease progresses from enervation to irritation to inflammation to ulceration. Those are the progressive stages of disease. So if your bowel is irritated all the time, that means that it's always full of toxic um, digestive food matter, which is always decomposing, rotting. The proteins are always decomposing, putrefying. The uh, carbohydrate sugars are always fermenting, creating um, acids of vinegar and alcohol. So your bowel is always poisoned, and you know it when you go to the toilet. So if you do the vegan healing diet plan that I teach, which is um, based on um, soft, very digestible fruits and veggies, no acid fruits, no fatty foods like nuts, seeds, or avocado, and you can have um, steamed sweet potato squashes and veggies for dinner, then your body will purify itself and it'll get a chance to heal itself up. So if your bowel is irritated all the time, you have IBS, that's a miserable way to, li- to live. Um, you should do a smoothie diet, a smoothie cleanse or juices to clean out. And then within probably a week, and you can probably resolve that in most cases. Some people will take longer, obviously, depending on the level of toxemia. If you're having colitis, that means that your colon is obviously irritated and, and inflamed. If it's ulcerated, it's called ulcerative colitis. And you're miserable. Um, your body's detoxifying through open sores in the colon, which are called ulcers. And thus, you get the uh, diagnosis of ulcerative colitis. That's what I had. If you have Crohn's disease, which means an irritation and inflammation throughout any part of the alimentary canal, from the mouth to the anus, really, but mainly you think of it in the intestines, if you have Crohn's disease, um, 
your, your intestines are inflamed, and you're also miserable with achy pains. A lot of people with Crohn's disease have constipation, and they have just a miserable time going to the toilet, and they feel miserable all the time. So some people with inflammatory bowel disease that have diarrhea where they go into the toilet five to 20 times a day. I've had many clients like that. I have several right now. Some have Crohn's disease where the colon's not inflamed, but still they're having the inflamed um, um, small intestines where they just feel lousy. They have malabsorption. Um, they're just feeling really miserable, and um, they need to detoxify, do the vegan healing diet I teach, which is universal. This is really what all natural health doctors would teach if they understood it properly. It's really very simple. You do a diet of soft, digestible fruits, nothing acidic. During a day with a lot of greens juiced in, um, you minimize bulky foods. If your um, bowel is having a hard time with all this bulky material from um, the fibrous material. And for dinner, you can have steamed sweet potato squashes and um, simple veggies, non-cruciferous, so you don't get too much sulfur into your bowels, which could be a problem if your bowel is inflamed. And you can do a vegetable juice once or twice in the afternoon, carrot with lettuce, celery, cucumber. And um, every one of my clients who sticks with this heals up. It's really a universal diet for healing the bowel. I just wish the whole world would know about it and embrace it. Well, uh, some of them are hearing about it right now. I can't believe that our time is up. We're definitely going to have to do this again. But just before we go, we're going to run a little bit over on this segment. But when it was posted that you were going to be on, I had two different people write to me and say, ask him what he thinks about colonics. I think I know, but can you just give us a one minute on your opinion of colonics? Um, I'll try to do it in one minute. The colon doesn't need colonics. Now, if someone is really obese and has really impacted feces and their poop is not moving, then, yeah, do colonics. But if you have an inflamed bowel, you don't want to put water pressure in there. It's like putting, you know, filling up a water balloon and you're driving the toxins back into your bloodstream in some cases. And you're driving it back up the colon and you're forcing, un- you're forcing the bowel to evacuate because of all this torture to the bowel with all this pressure. Do juices and smoothies and let the colon heal out naturally. If you're inflamed, don't mess with colonics. So the colon never retains any fecal matter that sticks to the walls. That's a myth. The fecal matter can get embedded in the small intestines, but that'll all come out if you do a diet of um, purified water, juices and smoothies for several days, and you don't need to go to a colon therapist to heal your colon. It's absolutely unnecessary and it's very dangerous. It even washes out any good bacteria that's in there. So it's really too, it's really too enervating and um, disturbing to the bowel um, environment. So I never recommend it. Okay, my two listeners who ask, now you know. Um, the free copy of Vibrance Magazine, how do people get that? Okay, send me an email to uh, the easiest email address is dave at digestionperfection.com. That's dave at digestionperfection.com. Okay, I will put that on the um, show notes for today. Uh, also, there are several websites. And uh, one of those is colitisandcrohnscenter.com. One is selfhealingempowerment.com. There are some others. I'll put those on the show notes. You can contact Dr. Dave and um, just get your digestion running smoothly. Thank you so much for all you do, and we'll absolutely do this again. Thank you for your awesome work, Victoria. Let's speak again soon. All the best. Take care. And everybody, please stay with us because we're going to have on one of your favorite TV chefs, Lindsay Nixon, the happy herbivore. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful, spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be and that it can be fun to explore too. Malena Don and Stacy Macris Ross will be your amateur cultural anthropologists examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so excited. You know, most of the time, when I'm introducing you to a guest, this is someone that I've met or spoken with at least or even know well. Now, Lindsay Nixon, I've only heard of, so I'm feeling a bit starstruck here, and I'm happy oh. to be doing this introduction. Lindsay S. Nixon is the best-selling author of the Happy Herbivore Cookbook Series, the Herbivore Cookbook, Everyday Happy Herbivore, Happy Herbivore Abroad, Happy Herbivore Light and Lean, and oh, this is becoming a tongue twister, Happy Herbivore Holidays and Gatherings, <laughs> and her brand new book, The Happy Herbivore Guide to Plant-Based Living. Peter Piper has got some competition <laughs> with Happy Herbivore. Nixon has sold more than 200,000 cookbooks. She's been featured on Dr. Oz, on the thefooddetwork.com. She's spoken at Google. Her recipes have been featured in the New York Times, Veg News, Vegetarians Times, Women's Health, Oprah.com, Bethany.com, Fitness.com. She is a rising star in the culinary world. Oh, my gosh, Lindsay. I think your star rose long ago and is just staying up. And it's praised for her ability to use everyday ingredients to create healthy, low-fat recipes that taste just as delicious as they are nutritious. Welcome, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And it's funny, I've always wanted to meet you too. I've like, I love your podcast. I love your book. And I kept hoping there would be a conference or something where we would cross paths and we never have. It's just not right. Well, it is surprising because there are some people that I feel like I run into three or four times a year and then other people I'm thinking, when will it happen? But where do you <laughs> live exactly? Are you um, West Coast? Yeah, I'm in LA. Okay. Well, there is a whole country in between us, so this I guess true. that's one reason. Well, wonderful to be speaking with you today through the magic of Skype and Unity Online Radio. Mm-hmm. So for people who are not among the 200,000 who have read one of your books, <laughs> tell us about you. Tell us how you got started. I actually, I was a lawyer, and um, when I was in law school, I had a really serious health scare, and upon, like, reading about health and nutrition, decided that I basically, I read the China study um, because it was a cancer scare. I decided to adopt a whole foods plant-based diet. And I was always really kind of leaning towards vegetarian. I was vegetarian as a child because I really loved animals. And so I made the switch. And then the more I learned, it became not just about health, but compassion and environmental. You know, there's so many reasons to adopt a vegan diet. And um, so I was just trying to figure it out because it was not 
as mainstream as it is now today, which is amazing. But I was in, you know, I was the only one I knew. I lived in Boston where it's very seafood oriented, very meat. People are like vegetarian. What is that? Do you eat lamb? And I'm like, no. Um, and so I just, I started blogging and it was like my outlet while I was in law school. But then years later, my blog really became popular and I had the opportunity to write a book. So I said goodbye to the law and I've been helping people go plant-based ever since. I always love successful lawyer recovery stories. <laughs> yes. So, congratulations, one day at a time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so... I think of you as a cuisine person, and it's very interesting that you got into this for for your health and that you're very big on the health benefits of a plant-based diet, even though you're known for fabulous recipes. So tell us about some of that. Yeah, I think that food is, it's awesome. You know, I love to eat as much as the next person, but I feel that food can be this thing that is a happy experience and a nourishing experience. And one thing before I was plant-based, I always struggled with food because I always felt like, oh, that's bad. Or I, I looked at things as bad or I shouldn't eat that even though I want to eat that or oh, I'm going to be, I just didn't have like a good relationship and it was all noisy and I would go to restaurants and not know what to pick. And now I just, I'm like, wow, everything I eat, I feel good when I eat it. I feel good about myself when I eat it. I feel fantastic after I eat it. I don't need to go take a nap. And so I was like, Food can be amazing. It can be this wonderful thing that we do for our bodies and for our planet. And we can still enjoy it because that's what I always thought. I always thought like, well, if you eat health food, it's going to be gross or it's not going to taste good. And so I'm trying to prove that is not true, that you can have the most delicious food and it be good for you too. And I love what you can do with food and how you translate it to the food challenge. You know, I think there are so many people now who just never learned to cook. I mean, most mm-hmm. of us had mothers who worked, and so we weren't standing alongside somebody in a kitchen every day of our mm-hmm. early childhood learning how to slice and dice. So in your new book, The Happy Herbivore Guide to Plant-Based Living, which is not a cookbook, there are, are some wonderful recipes in the back, but this is really a book about how to live this new way of life. But mm-hmm. You do have a lot of food tips in it. And one of them is where you talk about the plant-based conversion for animal ingredients. And some of these, you know, I think most vegans would know, you know, eggs, scrambles, omelets, you can use tofu. But you've got some that I've never heard before. So you say if you want to replace chicken, then use chickpeas or white mushrooms. For ground beef, you can use black beans, bulgur, quinoa. For ham, maple syrup plus smoked paprika to taste. I mean, these are really brilliant. Did you come up with these just from experience? Yeah, most of them um, was just me trying to replicate, you know, things that I used to love or my family used to love, but we've decided we're not going to eat anymore for health or compassion or whatever our motivating factors are. But, um, and it's really been my parents because when I first adopted a vegan diet, it was just me and I, I didn't want to still cook meat, but my family still ate it. So when they came over, I would try to make vegan things that were familiar to them and have the tastes. And I can remember the first Thanksgiving, my parents were joking they were going to go to the neighbor's house to get turkey. Um, but then at the end of the day, they both were like, I had no idea that you could have all the same flavors as you always did at Thanksgiving, but it be plant-based and you feel really good after you eat it. You don't want to go lay down. And uh, my parents have since adopted a plant-based diet almost five years ago now. But it was like, that was the thing, as I wanted to show that you could have all the things you always loved, all those traditions, all those memories, all those flavors, but in a way that's good for you. That is so cool. And I always love to hear when parents get on the bandwagon because their children found it first. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I, I mean, I definitely led the charge in my family, but I have seen just in meeting people a lot of times, oh, I heard about it from my daughter. Or I heard about it from my son. And a lot of times they're hearing about it from college age children. And yeah. I think that's amazing. It, it is exciting. Although I did hear of the opposite. A couple of months ago, I was doing a book signing in New Jersey and met um, a mother in her 80s and her daughter. Wow. And I thought, sure, it was going to be the daughter brought the mother the mother went vegan at 82. Wow. And brought her daughter along. <laughs> Never too late. That's so cool. 
So tell us just in general some of the health benefits of eating this way that you find most exciting and maybe some of the ones that we don't talk about all the time. I mean, I know we've got heart disease covered. If you do it right, I don't think anybody can fault us on heart disease. But what about some other conditions? Yeah, I always, you know, that's the big thing. So people that lose over 100 pounds or get off their medications or, you know, reverse heart disease, and that's amazing. But there are so many small little things that are also awesome. Like I started sleeping better and I was a lot more productive at school. Like my grades increased and I was getting more work done in less time. And I think it was because my body was just running so well on this healthy fuel. It wasn't like weighed down with all of this like garbage that I was eating and I, I mean, my skin cleared, which was nice. I had like embarrassing acne my whole life and I was always so self-conscious and that went away. And I used to have also, this might be TMI for the radio, but I used to have really bad menstrual cramps and that went away. And I used to pop pills like crazy just so I could go to class. And um, I don't think people realize all of the little things like, oh, I have no more mental fog is something I hear a lot. Or in the case of my sister, she suffered horrible allergies for years. Like she just couldn't breathe. She was always stuffed up, sounded like she had a cold. And it just completely was gone within two weeks of her being vegan. I think that's the main thing that a lot of people notice when they get the dairy out. Mm-hmm. I realized that when I hadn't had dairy for 12 months, I also hadn't had a cold for 12 months. Right. And I'm very prone to that sort of thing, still am. But it used to be, I mean, every six weeks or so. And when I realized after at my one-year vegan anniversary, it's like, oh, my gosh, I haven't been sick in a year either. So I think the dairy is a really big deal. And immunity too. I definitely, I mean, I was working with children and I also was going to school and I rode the subway. And as you know, in New York City, you're just, it's a germ fest. And so I was always picking up something, a cold or sickness. I stopped getting sick. And if I did get sick, I would go to bed early that night and wake up completely fine. Mm. I wasn't being taken out two weeks at a time or having this like cough or sore throat or sniffles that just wouldn't go away. That just completely went away. Good, good history. Mm -hmm. So you did mention, you know, when somebody has a hundred pound weight loss, when I went vegan a long time ago, it was just accepted that you were going to lose some weight. And in fact, people who didn't want to lose any weight were told you'll probably lose about 15 pounds. So really, you know, remember to eat enough so that that won't happen if you don't want it to. But now we hear a lot about don't promise weight loss because you never know. And sometimes people go vegan and gain weight. Where do you come in on all of that? I think you could you could gain weight. I, I think with any dietary change, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And sometimes it's trial by error. I know with just in my group of friends, I had this one friend who went vegan and before she was vegan, she was always really kind of careful about what she ate. And I would see her eating like French fries and Oreos for dinner. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, it's vegan. (laughs) And that's not untrue. French fries and Oreos are, but it's not a healthy choice. And so if someone was trying to lose weight or get healthy, they're not going to do that eating French fries and Oreos. You still have to kind of put the veg in vegan, you know, really make your diet about plants and vegetables and fruits and whole grains because you can do it wrong. And when I met people who gained weight on a vegan or a plant-based diet, a lot of times they were still eating rich foods. They were cooking with like lots of oil or they were, instead of eating McDonald's cheeseburgers, they were going and getting like Boca burgers with day of cheese. And you could certainly have those things as a treat, but you can't eat them every day and expect to feel awesome or lose weight. Yeah. And I think that is a difference between contemporary veganism and old fashioned veganism because back in the day, everybody pretty much ate the standard American diet. But nowadays, a lot of people are trying to eat healthfully and maybe mm-hmm. they haven't heard about problems with animal foods yet, but they're, you know, eating leaner and eating more vegetables. And then when they come to vegan, it's like, Oh my gosh, look at all this ice cream and all these donuts. Mm-hmm. 
So, well, and it can be exciting too. You're like, oh my gosh, it's vegan. I want to try it. Oh, I'm so, cause you're so excited about being vegan and all these new things. I, that happens to me. I was just at Trader Joe's last week and I was like, oh my gosh, that's vegan. Oh my gosh, that's vegan. Oh my gosh, they have cinnamon rolls and those are vegan. I'm like, wait, that's not healthy. I would not eat cinnamon rolls on a day to day basis. So I should not buy them today just cause they're vegan. That's funny that you would say cinnamon rolls because there's a, a vegan table at one of the farmer's markets here and we were walking past and my husband just stopped and said, those are cinnamon rolls and they're vegan. And then he's speaking <laughs> you know, out, aloud. These are his thoughts. He's not really talking to me, but I hear him say, but they're still fattening. <laughs> and so he walked away. I did buy a scone, I must say, because I loved scones back mm-hmm. when I ate stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when I see a vegan one, I do get it, but never half a dozen. Oh, right. <laughs> just one. So tell us, Lindsay, what are your favorite transition tips when people are looking at moving from omni to vegan? To take it a meal at a time. And I know that's so much easier to say it than to actually do it, but it you really have to focus on just the next meal you're doing. I was so worked up about Thanksgiving when I first went vegan. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And it was nine months away. And you know what? It came and it went and it was fine. I think I stressed way more than I ever needed to. And I think that's true. People will be like, but I, I have a wedding to go to in two months or they just, their mind just starts spinning and spinning and spinning. And it's just take it at a meal at a time, you know, do the best you can. And a lot of people feel they have to get 110% right, right out the gate. And it's like, there's a learning curve and you're going to mess up and learn. And that's, it's totally fine. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you slip up or you make a boo-boo, I love to tell this story of my parents. They really believed they were doing the right thing buying non-dairy creamer at the store. They're like, non-dairy. Okay, that's vegan. No, it has cream in it. <laughs> I, it's, it shouldn't, the FDA shouldn't allow, you know, companies to label things that way, but they do. But it was an honest mistake. They learned and they won't do it again. And you just, those things are going to happen. Oh, it, it's so true. And I had a, a new vegan or just send me an email. She said, oh my gosh, I almost ordered meat. I forgot that I'm vegan. <laughs> I remember just in time. And I thought it was so cute because when you're making any kind of change, I remember when I first got married and somebody called me Mrs. Moran and it was like, no, my mother-in-law is not here anywhere. <laughs> it's just hard to get used to. And I think this is a change like that. You're kind of becoming someone new. So what about eating out? What do we do there? For eating out, I am... Um... I always tell people to don't worry. Don't think you have to live by a vegan restaurant, first of all, or go to one. If there's one available to you and you want, that's awesome. But there's always something to do. And for me, I always try to make where I'm going, whether it's to a restaurant or to a wedding, to remind myself I'm not really there for the food, which isn't necessarily this truth about a restaurant, but really I'm going because I want to hang out and talk with my friends or spend an evening with my husband or see my friend get married. Um, so I really try to keep that in focus not and not think of food as like fun or entertainment. Of, of course, enjoy it. But when I get to a restaurant, I kind of just browse the menu and see what's available to me. Even if they don't have a clearly marked vegan or vegetarian option on the menu, I find there's always something that you can do. And if you are stumped, you can't figure it out, ask your server. They really do want to help you. I've been in the most rural places in the Midwest where it's like beef, beef, and more beef. And I've never had a problem. And I love to tell a story that I walked into a roadhouse in Wyoming with animal heads on the wall and the daily special was bone marrow. And I was like, this is it. This is the place that will finally defeat me and I will not be able to eat here. And they made the most amazing quinoa salad I've ever had in my life. Now that's a story. Yeah. And so I'm like, yep, anywhere. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you can stuck with the salad option, but you know, if you see beef or chicken fajitas on the menu, ask them if they'll just make you pepper fajitas. If you see um, like I love when I see burgers that are sold with portobello mushrooms, I ask them if they can do, you know, just the portobello sandwich for me without the burger. And, um, you know, but it's one of those things It's with learning with practice, you learn it, but there's always something on the menu and often it's hiding in the sides. 
Yeah, I think one of the things we forget, it, we think that all the food is on the menu, but that's not true. The food is in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and, and a menu doesn't list everything that's back there. That's so true. That's so true. I remember taking a road trip, oh, ages ago, out to Wyoming and Montana. It's the most amazing part of the country because you could just go for, I think, hundreds of miles and, and almost see nothing. You know, yeah, buddy. And we went into this little town that had one restaurant and I thought, oh boy, this is going <laughs> to be my biannual order of fries. They somehow were able to make me an avocado and sprout sandwich on whole wheat sourdough. Wow. And to this day, I don't know if I was really in Wyoming or sort of in the twilight zone, <laughs> but it happened. And, you know, these are, these are things I guess vegans sit around the fire and talk about. Remember yeah. that sandwich. Remember that sandwich. So how about traveling? You travel a lot. And I have to say for me, that is the hardest time. I mean, it's never hard to be vegan because I'm just going to be vegan no matter what, but it is hard to eat the whole foods as much as I do at home when I'm on the road. What do you do? Yeah, it's definitely not as easy as at home. I do think it's easy to be vegan and it is a little harder to eat wholesome. Um, it's, I, I've, you know, I, I guess I kind of take it in stride and I always tell myself to do the best in the situation I'm in. So if I, like when I was traveling through Asia, I couldn't find brown rice. I don't, I, nobody had brown rice anywhere. And I was kind of bummed about it because I don't necessarily love white rice, but I'm like, you know what? White rice and some steamed vegetables, I'm doing a thousand times better than, you know, eating a deep fried egg roll or something. Um, so I just always try to think of it that way of doing the best I can in my situation. But I have, I've been all over the world, even in really remote, like fishing villages in Asia and have not had a problem finding some kind of like fruit and vegetable and green situation. Beans are not always the most common outside of America, but there's always fruits and vegetables. And I actually really like going to the local farmer's markets and seeing what kind of plants are there that I can't get at home. And I still think and dream about fruits and vegetables that I just ate standing there in the middle of the farmer's market. Oh, well, that's why we travel. I Mm -hmm. think to have those, those memories of tastes and colors. And also in, in your fabulous new book, this really is a great book, guys. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, okay, another book about plant-based something or other. No, 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 this is not that. This is sensational and different and special and unique. The Happy Herbivore Guide to Plant-Based Living. Now, you have a section about camping and hiking and that kind of thing. And, and oh, this book is also beautifully illustrated. And there is this fabulous picture of your vegan travel emergency kit. So you've got a can of pinto beans, you've got some aseptic tofu, some aseptic packages, small bottles of of almond milk, some individual peanut butters. It's really clever. And one really could pack something like that for a road trip. Oh, absolutely. And I actually, I just came back from two, almost three weeks in an RV, um, traveling through all of our national parks with my husband. And I basically took my emergency kit with me. Just, I bulked it up with, you know, more than what I would have in a normal emergency kit. But, um, I'm super paranoid living in LA that I like an earthquake's going to come in any minute. So I'm always, but there's so many things you can stock up on. Like you said, canned beans and they even have soy milk powder. Now all you need is to mix water into it. It's amazing. That is so funny that you would say that because back in the olden days, we only had soy milk powder. (laughs) (laughs) Most people didn't have blenders and we had soy milk powder. So what goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. What's what all the retro comes back in as new and cool, right? I I, I guess so. So soy milk powder is vintage. (laughs) I know, vintage soy milk powder. So tell us about dealing with our fellow humans. Sometimes when I hear people say, well, I used to be vegan, I listen to why they say they went back and it's usually something like, well, I felt tired or I felt sick or I did something. But then if I keep listening and listen between the lines, it's always something about their primary relationship or a new primary relationship or the family of origin It just seems to be difficult to be vegan in an omnivore's world. What are your suggestions for that? 
Yeah, there's all sorts of things that happen. Um, and it's, I try to tell people to think about it as an, an experience and try to remove yourself, which is hard to do, but it's amazing to see how people react. Like I had friends that were like, whatever floats your boat. I had friends who were really interested and curious and wanted to be accommodating. And then I had, I say friends very loosely because they were so mad and angry. Like it, like I deeply offended them by ordering a salad. And I'm just like, I don't understand why these people are so upset about my choice. And I realized with that group of people, it's that they're not comfortable. And so they're sort of lashing out to feel better. And the best thing, and I didn't know this at the time, I wish I did, is that you can just kind of be like, hey, this is just this weird thing that I'm doing. You're totally cool. I'm not going to try to change you. And just kind of reassure them because they're just freaking out thinking you're going to try to change them. And they're going to try to pressure you to conform back so that they feel comfortable because, you know, you rock the boat and they don't want the boat to rock. And um, so it becomes a very interesting psychological experience. But one thing, um, when I first went vegan, my husband wasn't. He is now. But uh, we just agreed to mutual respect. And I, if I was going to respect him for who he was, and he needed to respect me for who I was. And I said, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to be supportive. And I think a lot of people don't have those conversations. And then it just kind of brews under the surface. One person thinks the other one's secretly judging them or trying to convert them. And they're really not, but they need to hear that. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I've experienced that with my husband. And, oh, well, this gives me a chance to make a fabulous announcement about my husband. He wasn't vegan when I married him either. He did go vegetarian very quickly. Veganism took longer, which shouldn't surprise me because veganism took longer for me. But (laughs) um, my husband is now so vegan that he is the primary screenwriter of a fabulous screenplay that I've talked about on the show before, Miss Liberty, about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse and ends up at a farm sanctuary. Amazing. And guess what we heard today? I have not seen this in writing or signed on any dotted lines with a notary, but we were told by the production company that Miss Liberty is fully funded and will be filming this spring. Amazing! Yay! For bringing up husbands who go vegan. <laughs> yes. I, I want to ask you, Lindsay, a, a kind of um, dictionary sort of word. We talk a lot on the show about vegan and plant-based, mostly because I'm trying to understand it and be open to every way of saying, let's do better in this world. And when you talk about some substitutes here, you're saying vegan, not plant-based substitutes for meat, cheese, ice cream, and more. And that's interesting to me because I guess I think anything that isn't animal-based is plant-based, but I'm thinking you're using that in a different way. So help us understand. Right. I usually say um, something's vegan to mean that it is, there's an absence of animal product. There's no animal products in it whatsoever. And for plant-based, it's still the same. There's no animal products in it, but it's more of a whole food. Like it's really keeping that sort of plant, you know, in the plant-based, it's not something that's super processed. So for example, I would say a carrot is plant-based, but an Oreo is vegan. I wouldn't say an Oreo is plant-based because it's sort of processed. It's a plant fragment as mostly as opposed to like based in plants. And that's just sort of coming from the whole foods plant-based no oil movement that's sort of been um, thrust into the mainstream by Dr. Campbell and Dr. McDougall and the Forks Over Knives and Engine 2 folks. They are very big in the whole plant-based thing. And so I kind of use their guidance of plant-based is mainly made from whole foods and it's not like a highly processed vegan substitute. Okay. I get it. So that that's interesting to me because I've talked on the show before about, I have a problem with plant-based because it implies that it can be based on plants, but there can be some animal in right. it. Mm-hmm. So it's, but I guess all words, you know, what is Yeah, there's so mean? many. Yeah. And it's like vegan adjective versus noun because, you know, I would describe not a person as a vegan unless they were, you know, I guess the definition is like they're abstaining because of animal ethical beliefs versus a vegan adjective like, you know, this 
towel is vegan. It, I, words are, the English language is very complex. There's a reason I didn't major in English. <laughs> uh, well, I'm thinking of um, one of the ladies down at Moose Shoes told me that she was at a, I guess, a kind of shoe convention <laughs> or something mm-hmm. and, and noticed shoes that said, you know how they'll talk about uh, uppers and other parts of shoes, parts being leather, parts being man-made, right. whatever. But instead of saying man-made or, or fabric, they said leather upper, uh, the rest or remainder vegan. And so, and they were actually using that word, even though part of the shoe was leather. leather. So oh my goodness. One can be very confused. So I guess it's good to yeah. just have your heart in the right place and know that, um, that's what really matters. Now you go into a lot of detail in this book and it's laid out in such an interesting way because there are lots of really great sidebars and quotes and pictures and and interviews and stories of people. It's just a beautiful, beautiful book. And one of the sidebars, you actually list the five stages of grief, the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. Do you think that changing one's diet makes people feel that they've lost that much? I think all change is grief, you know, even good change, like getting married or, and you talked about that you were, you know, you were thrown for a loop when someone said misses, but I think all change, even having a baby, getting married, getting a new job, there is some grief there. And I think changing your diet does cause the stages of grief for most people, particularly people who are doing it because of their health. Like my father, for example, had a heart attack and that's why he became vegan. And, um, so for him, it wasn't just, uh, he said it like, I was just very motivated. You know, I love animals. I'm going to be a vegetarian. Um, I, so I didn't have that same kind of feeling. Like my dad was like, I have to do this. And I was like, I'm willfully doing this now. I feel like I have to do it because I can't imagine anything else, but I do think all changes grief. And, um, I, I went through my stages in my own way and, you know, Oh, why, why have I never heard this before? If it was true, why isn't it on the news? Although I guess we did just have a big study about bacon and red meat causing cancer. But there was, I definitely went through the stages, even the bargaining. Well, maybe only on my birthday. I just, um, I think all of us will sort of feel those different stages in our own way with any change, but especially with diet, because it's so deeply rooted in our culture, our society, our family memories, our traditions. You know, some people really struggle around the holidays, which are coming up, um, with how, you know, how they're going to do it. But I always loved grandma's cookies, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a grieving process in some ways, but a good way. It's for growth, personal growth. Well, I wanted to point that out just to, sh- to let people know that this is an exceptional book. I, I don't know of any other book about changing one's diet that talks about the stages of grief. And that's just so important. You also have the most wonderful resource section. So you've got books and films and online resources on every aspect of this change, whether we're talking about animals, the environment, athletics, even food addiction, which is something close to my heart. So get this book, The Happy Herbivore Guide to Plant-Based Living. Get it now. That will be (laughs) 200,001 copies. If you can put that on your wall, you were 200,001. (laughs) Lindsay, you are absolutely delightful. Oh, thank you. I am so happy that we got to talk. Now, where can people find you online? Oh, everything Happy Herbivore from happyherbivore.com, Twitter, Instagram, I'm Happy Herbivore. Uh, just you can find me that way. Well, everybody, find her that way. <laughs> she, she's way cool and really nice. And I said that there were some recipes in the back of this book. Here's one that is going to make you go out and get this book. I mean, if I weren't holding this book right now, I would be ordering this book right now. <laughs> she tells us how to make vegan Worcestershire sauce. Now I know you can buy it, but it's really hard to find. And it's so easy. The idea that I can make Worcestershire sauce in my own kitchen makes me a happy student of the herbivore. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you so much for having. And that um, vegan Worcestershire sauce is also allergy free, which the bottled ones at the stores aren't. So for everyone like me who has allergies, it's good for them too. 
Oh, that's terrific. Thank you so much for letting us know that. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Stay in touch and talk again. Sounds good. Thanks a million. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Now, lovely listeners, I need to let you know something about next week. I'm actually going to read this because emotions are high and I want to always speak kindly of a fellow vegans in every circumstance, but there is going to be a change on next week's show. And the person that I know a lot of you were looking forward to hearing Gary Francione, the leader of the abolitionist animal rights movement will not be on the show. And, and I asked him not to come on the show. And here's why. Because he disapproved of my giving an endorsement to a book encouraging a reduction in animal product consumption in people who have no interest yet in going vegan, Professor Francione opted, instead of speaking with me about this, to malign me on Facebook, which opened the door for a harangue that included extremely hostile rhetoric from some of of his followers. So just as I would not invite someone who had attacked me on the street into my home, I cannot invite someone who attacks me online onto this program. I want to be very clear to everybody out there and people who admire Gary's work, which I do myself, that this decision does not reflect any disdain for the abolitionist approach itself. I want animal abuse and animal slaughter abolished with every fiber of my being. And it also doesn't reflect in any way on Professor Francione's commitment to non-human animals, which I believe to be unwavering and sincere. I haven't yet scheduled other guests for next week, but I promise you an especially wonderful show because I know that some of you will be disheartened by this change. I hope that you also understand that um, for the sake of uh, civility, um, positive talk radio here on Unity Online, and um, also for my own self-respect that I cannot reward going online and, and saying terrible things about me with an hour of airtime. So I, I wish Gary well and everyone who follows him, God bless you for saving those animals. And who knows, maybe one of these days he and I can get together in person and have a nice chat and patch things up and we just might do this again someday. We'll see about that. So thank you. Thanks to our guests, Lindsay Nixon, the happy herbivore, and Dr. David Klein. We'll put all the information about both of them on the show notes. And to everybody out there, God bless you. And eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. What is the key to happiness? Would you like to find the fountain of youth? How about all the money and love that you could handle? Well, my friends, it is there for you. You just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life. You need to be real. Be vulnerable. Be naked. What are you waiting for? Let's get naked. This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Alfrey is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. 
Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.